Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. This is the time of year, and I hope you can feel it the way that I can, where it just sort of starts to feel like the season is getting closer. Now, I know that sometimes it seems like these last few days in the month of August, maybe it feels like they tick off more slowly than some of the other stuff did because all of a sudden you, you just your emotion just kind of gets the best of and you kind of get to a fever pitch and all that, and I do get that. But the thing that I take great comfort in, all the really interesting updates that are coming out of Athens, around the Georgia practices. Uh, there's going to be an entire week's worth of really fun press conferences here this week. We'll get more into that later on in the show. But you ought to be visiting DogNation.com frequently. You ought to be going to the Dog Nation YouTube page pretty frequently because that's where the sort of the best repository, if you will, fancy word there, but the best repository for all the uh, press conference content that comes out. Check DogNation.com regularly. Check the uh, Dog Nation YouTube page regularly because – uh, you're getting a lot of news coming out of Athens as Georgia kind of goes through its sort of camp phase of summer practices right now, or I guess fall camp, you want to call it that. They go through kind of their camp phase where they're working on themselves and trying to be the best they can be, eventually turning the pages at Oregon preparations, which will be here before you know it. And we're just getting a lot of that right now. And in light of what we got last week, I still sort of have that Kirby Smart press conference that kind of kicked this off on Thursday. I still sort of have that on my mind here a little bit. And some of the things that Smart said, I think kind of played in pretty well with a lot of what we've been talking about around here on a pretty regular basis about what the Georgia offense is going to look like. And for the over the course of this offseason, we've really been pretty bullish on the Georgia offense here this year. We look at two years worth of Todd Munkin, and we see – major improvement year over year in 2020 compared to the previous year before Munkin got here in 2019 and in 2021 against you know uh, you know full schedule and everything along those lines on the way to a national championship Georgia also took another big step towards improvement in 2021 compared to where Munkin had been in 2020 so it becomes very reasonable to assume that there's even more improvement that can be in store for 2022, that another big step of progression can be taken. But while we generally believe that's what's going to happen, we are also specifically trying to drill down on exactly what that means and exactly what that would look like and what is exactly the recipe for Georgia to get this offensive improvement that would continue a pattern that's been in place in the first two years under Todd Munkin. And some of the stuff that Kirby Smart uh, talked about when he met with the media for the first time uh, fall camp last week I think illuminated some of that but it also just kind of left some lingering questions in the air about other parts of this so let me kind of go through a little bit of this and at the end I'm gonna play three cl- uh, clips from Kirby and the last one I think might be the most interesting because it's an example of smart maybe going into a little bit more detail on a topic than sometimes you think you might sometimes you sort of think Kirby just to sort of tries to avoid saying anything interesting in press conferences, but there are moments in which Smart actually volunteers some interesting information. And the last clip we're going to play from Kirby coming up in a couple of moments, it's an example of that. But let's do some other stuff before we get there first. Let me start with running backs. I think the running back conversation around Georgia is just really fascinating. And what I've said is, is that the actual recipe for big offensive improvement for Georgia this season is maybe a little different than some think. Some think that Georgia's got to throw the ball better. But the truth is, Georgia actually last year threw it pretty well, way better and way more frequently than it had previously under Kirby Smart. That This was uh, a much improved passing game a year ago compared to almost any year prior to that in the Smart era. And our belief is, is that if actually Georgia just simply replicated through the air what it did a year ago, you'd actually be in pretty good shape uh, from a passing standpoint. But if you want to kind of break through that ceiling of scoring 40 points per game, something that Georgia came close to doing a year ago but kind of finished just underneath, but if you want to break through there for the upcoming season, maybe finding a little bit more of a value add in the running game might actually be a way to do that because you compare the Georgia running game of the last two years to the to the, sort of the best version of Georgia and its ground attack during the smart era – you did see an example the last couple of seasons where Georgia kind of took a step back in that regard. So spotlight on the UGA running backs. And as Smart kind of mentioned the other day, 
it's a situation here where you got a couple of guys that you sort of know a lot about who we've seen play a, a pretty good bit now and some other guys underneath them who want to make a name for themselves there as well and how is all of that talent deployed together this was interesting from smart last week when it comes to the running back situation take a listen to this well, I think we know enough about Kenny and Kendall to know their strengths. They're both talented guys. They've played uh, uh, feature roles within drives within their careers here, but never the feature guy. Um, they're both very talented. They both in, improved immensely uh, in the years here. I think Dell's done a great job developing those guys as pass protectors, route runners. I think the unknown more is, is Dejan, who's been able to get in a lot of games mop-up and has really done a good job. He's going to play a larger role this year. And then finding out the two freshmen, both Branson and Andrew, have got to help us from a depth standpoint. So um, I'm excited to see what those guys can do. So listen, there are a lot of days on this show where I'm kind of like a big blowhard in front of a microphone and sort of fall in love with my own opinion and slam my hand down the desk and tell you this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm what I know. Sometimes the temptation to do that is just so great that you just sort of feel like you have to. This is not one of those moments, though. This is not me saying, let me tell you exactly what needs to happen. Let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. This is what I know to be true. I'm actually not that confident in my opinion on this. I'm actually just more curious. Like Kirby Smart, in talking about the Georgia running backs, mentions Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, and kind of puts them in the category of known commodities. We've seen both those guys play well, and when they've been healthy they've played pretty well they've played frequently you know and they've played well when when they've been healthy we know sort of what Georgia has in Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh and Kirby Smart also mentions Dejon Edwards there as well now here's what I know about Dejon Edwards I know that Dejon Edwards is a good player I don't have any doubt about that whatsoever Dejon Edwards exceeds the threshold of what is required to be a capable SEC running back and if there was ever like an expansion draft and some other SEC team could get their hand on Edwards, which I guess in modern times there sort of is, but you know, if another team could get their hands on Dejon Edwards, there are plenty of teams in the SEC that would love nothing more than to say, that's our featured back. We're going to build our offense around him. Dejon Edwards, just potentially for the right team, could, could be that kind of guy. And maybe at Georgia, through a series of circumstances, maybe he could be that guy for UGA there as well. There's no doubt in my mind that Dejon Edwards is a good player. I think most of you'd probably agree. But is more of Dejon Edwards crowding into a situation with both Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh, is that a good thing for Georgia? And this is where I have to admit I'm a little bit uncertain because what I kind of see is there's a little bit of a magic number for Georgia running backs. In the Kirby Smart Dell McGee era, McGee, of course, being the running backs coach, regardless of who the offensive coordinator has been, when Georgia has trusted a running back enough to get at least 150 carries, that has turned out to be usually a pretty good running back for Georgia. Obviously, you had you know, Chubb and Michelle in 2017, but in 2018, both Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Swift kind of exceeded that 150 carry number. You would go back 2019, Swift's final year at UGA, he also kind of exceeded that 150 carry number and put big numbers up because of that. You know, last couple of years, we really haven't seen the Georgia running backs going above that 150 carry number. 2020 is a different thing because there were just way fewer games. But last year, just Zamir White alone got above that 150 carry number, whereas in years like 2017, 2018, you had multiple running backs getting that 150 carry mark. Now, some of that's because Georgia just threw the ball more last year, threw the ball better last year. But as I talked to Terrence Edwards about the other day, here is the thing I'm sort of left to kind of wonder about a bit. Is it a coincidence that in the years which Georgia has run the ball the best, they have relied primarily on a couple of guys to get that done? And as Georgia's kind of become a little bit more of a running back ensemble team in 2020 and 2021, those rushing numbers have regressed a little bit. In other words, if you're a Georgia fan, are you kind of rooting for Milton McIntosh or just any tandem of backs to greatly exceed the rest of this bunch or do you like the idea as Kirby Smart said of Dejon Edwards kind of moving into the same discussion with Milton McIntosh and freshman running backs like Branson Robinson Andrew Paul being a part of that too now you may have this season what you had before which is hey the overall depth of talent here incoming players and a guy like Dejon who's just kind of ready for a bigger role you just may have too many running backs where you have to give them some carries. 
But is that a good thing for George or not? I have to admit, I'm still kind of lingering and sort of thinking about that a little bit. Uh, another question where I kind of have a little bit of a lingering question around, and I'm not, not quite so sure exactly what all this means, is for George at the tight end spot. And this is where I have to be honest a, a bit. For as exciting as every Georgia fan is justifiably about the state of this tight end room, in my mind, I have been left to concede that I don't believe there's going to be enough snaps and footballs to go around for everybody to kind of have the sort of top-end projection of what their stat line could look like. That for as many great tight ends as Georgia seems to have the potential to have, there's probably only room for a couple of them to have great years. And from that standpoint, obviously Brock Bowers would obviously seem to be one of those guys. And my bet for the next guy on that would probably be Eric Gilbert. In fact, it's not probably, it would be Eric Gilbert. And so that means if we're doing like a fantasy draft of Georgia football players, I probably wouldn't draft Darnell Washington as high as some of you might, but that doesn't mean that I don't think Washington has great potential. I just see sort of a crowded situation where, hey, if this guy's having a great year and this guy's having a great year, at some point in time, the math just sort of catches up with you and there's not room for everybody to have a great year. But the other day, we were talking about this in the show too, you know, I said, is it a coincidence that the big year for Brock Bowers happened to take place shortly after an injury from Darnell Washington. In other words, did the way in which Georgia fed Bowers happen in part because of the fact that Washington got hurt and had he been healthy, maybe he would have been somewhat fed in that same way and then maybe he would have had a chance to kind of have a a larger role in the offense that some of what went to Bowers might have actually kind of been shared with, uh, with Darnell Washington and on the basis of some of the stuff that Kirby Smart said last week, uh, is there a chance that maybe I'm actually underrating Washington's chance to have the big year offensively and obviously match with his performance and his stats? What we can obviously see is incredible physical gifts and incredible talent. You know, the touchdown, even in the, the, the loss of the SEC championship game against Alabama, sort of shows how he can be used in a red zone situation. Obviously, he had the great game uh, against Cincinnati in the bowl game a year ago, go back to 2020, and uh, what he did on the road against Missouri, that there's clearly talent there. But is it a talent level that that puts him ahead of a of a Gilbert, uh, puts him alongside a Brock Bowers, keeps him ahead of an incoming freshman like like Oscar Delp? I have to admit, there's a part of me that hasn't been quite so sure. But when I heard what Kirby Smart said last week, it did sort of cause me to to rethink some of that a little bit. This is very interesting from Smart on Darnell Washington and the development that he's been showing behind the scenes there at UGA. I give Darnell a lot of credit. He's worked tremendously hard at putting himself in the best shape possible. Uh, when he got injured, which I think was over spring break going into spring practice, we thought he was in the best shape he had been in since being here. Both body fat, composition, uh, body weight, conditioning level. I mean, he was really running well in our off-season conditioning program, and we were looking forward to spring. Uh, he he re-injures his foot, and from there, he couldn't train the same, and he couldn't do the same things, and um, he's really in a good spot. You know, he's a guy that, you know, I came in on Sunday, and he's out there running on his own uh, on a day that was off. He's, he's got a purpose. Um, he's, he's practicing uh, to be driven and um, excited to see you know what he can do. It's going to be important that we get him in, in good physical conditioning shape to be able to go during this training camp. So when I hear Kirby Smart right there, it makes me rethink the opinion that I believe that I have. If you're going to set a yardage total for Brock Bowers, I'm betting the over. I believe he gets to 1,000 yards this year. If you're going to set the yardage total for Eric Gilbert, whatever the reasonable total for that is, I'm probably betting the over on that. I think that Gilbert can have a really special season. And just knowing that there's just not you know a million footballs to go around and not a million snaps to go around, that I'm taking the over on Gilbert, if I'm taking the over on Bowers, then i got to take the under on somebody because the success of the other two probably comes to the expense of somebody else, and therefore – maybe I might would have taken the under on Darnell Washington. But when you hear Kirby Smart speak the way that he spoke last week, all of a sudden I'm left to conclude, well, gosh, is there a chance I'm as wrong about this? I've been about other things in the past because, let's face it, I've been wrong before. All of us have. Hearing Kirby Smart say those complimentary things about, about Darnell Washington right there lead me to conclude, hey, 
maybe maybe he shouldn't be counted out to be that next tight end alongside what we you know expect to see from Brock Bowers here this season. So to sum of this up so far, running back lingering question for me is. Is this a two-headed monster at running back for Georgia this year with with McIntosh and Milton, or do guys like Dejon and the freshman do they kind of creep in on this too and make this a little bit more of a running back by ensemble? I'm not quite so sure what the answer to that is, and I'm not quite so sure what's best for Georgia when it comes to tight end. Is it obvious that 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 Eric Gilbert is the next tight end next to Brock Bowers, or is a guy like Darnell Washington, maybe even an incoming freshman like Oscar Delp? Are they going to have something to say about this in terms of who that second tied in is and all of that? That's another lingering question I sort of have. Then finally, there's this because we got to move on. The other thing that Kirby Smart talked about on Saturday or not Saturday uh, last week when he was when he was speaking, which I thought was really pretty interesting, is about how the decisions at, at, at tight end and who's on the field and how many of those tight ends are on the field kind of also sort of bleeds into the wide receiver conversation there as well, especially for a guy who, you know, maybe like, like Kiaris Jackson, who, who if he's on the field, that kind of takes away that extra tight end you could have on the field. And for, for a decision maker like Todd Monk and the offensive coordinator who's pushing all those buttons, you know, do you want more receivers on the field? Do you want more tight ends on the field of the various position groups? How do you kind of put all these guys out here so you have the greatest opportunity to put the defense in conflict? And if the tight ends are as good as we, we think they can be, what does that mean for the Georgia wide receivers, specifically a guy like Jackson, who seemingly is far healthier now than he was for most of 2021? This is that example I was telling you before of Kirby Smart actually going into detail and giving you a little bit I think of sort of the inner workings here, the thought process of maybe what George is considering as it decides which 11 to have on the field on offense. I thought this was really good, once again, Kirby from last week. Kiers is a leader. He represents our university the right way. He's on part of so many committees and boards, and he seems like he's been here forever. So I, I really appreciate what he's done in that regard. He's been a team player. Um, he's got to continue to improve. Uh, he knows the competition to create value. Is you know He's also competing with the tight ends because when he's on the field, one of them's not. So for him, it's very important that he knows his role, he understands his role, and he creates value in the way he plays, whether it's special teams or at wide receiver. So listen, I think that's incredibly fascinating. And we'll talk to Connor Riley in a moment. And, you know, Connor has really suggested that he thinks that Kyrus Jackson could be in line for a great year. I mean, the bottom line on all of this is, is that big picture, I think there could be a lot of good things in store for the Georgia offense this season. But kind of more small details, what are the component pieces that get put together to add up to all of that? I'm still not quite so sure. That's why I'm listening in close to everything these Georgia coaches and players are saying. That's why I'm reading close all those practice observations that we see popping up there at dognation.com. We're seeing hints and clues dropped each and every day, but what the dogs are actually going to look like and which of these large list of names of playmakers actually get a chance to break through in a big way for this upcoming year. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, when the radio at noon on App and Sports Radio 960 The Ref. We're available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. Just really happy to have you on board with us. And a big thanks to our friends at ESOG for making it all possible. Engineered Solutions of Georgia. You hear me talk about them a lot. You've heard me talk about them now for years. And they are a name to know because of one simple reason. They're a solutions-based company. That means they are ready to step up and solve one of the biggest problems you could be facing as a homeowner. I'm talking about foundation or waterproofing issues. You see cracks in the walls? That's oftentimes not a good thing. Deep down, you sort of know that. You don't really need me to tell you that. But sometimes it's sort of easy to pretend it doesn't exist. It doesn't do you any good. When you reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, you may actually find out that some of the evidence of a potential foundation issue are actually not as substantial as you might think. It's an easier fix, which is great news. And if that's the case, ESOG is going to tell you just that. They'll tell you to go to the hardware store and pick out a whatever you might need. But if it's something more substantial than that, then obviously you want good folks 
on the scene working for you. And that's what Engineered Solutions Georgia is all about. They got an entire team of engineers working for you. There's nobody else in the industry that can say that right here in our market than our folks at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. So you want to reach out to them. Also for your waterproofing issues. Uh, when it rains, you see that water creeping into your garage, your basement. Sometimes it does more than creep. Sometimes it's uh, it's flowing pretty good. We'll get. It's time to get that scene about there as well because that's not going to go away on its own. You're going to have to get that taken care of. Our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia helping you with all of that. You can find them online uh, or actually you can give them a call. It's very, very easy to remember the number. Just simply dial it up. 678-ESOG now. That's 678 678- E-S-O-G now. That'll get you in touch with our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Great to have them a part of our program here today. It'll also be great to have Connor Riley on board with us here in just a moment. We'll do a Kroger Fresh Take with him. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse, presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And I want to talk about the preseason coaches poll that came out yesterday because I thought there were a couple of interesting things related to this. And in one respect, Maybe not the total disrespect for UGA that we sort of saw last week. Now, the top three in the rankings, exactly as you had predicted they would be, uh, but there's kind of an interesting wrinkle to this. So in the preseason coaches poll yesterday, Alabama came in at number one. We told you they would. You already know that as well. Ohio State at number two. Whether it's right or it's wrong, we knew that was going to be the case. Georgia comes in at number three. Then it's Clemson. Then it's Notre Dame. Now, let me say a couple of things here. So while the top three, exactly as we all knew they would be, it is interesting to note that Georgia did get more first place votes than Ohio State did. That's what that number in parentheses means for those of you watching on video. Dogs got six first place votes, Ohio State just five, Alabama the overwhelming margin there of 54. Now we've told you before that this sort of unanimous assumption that Alabama is just going to be great, no one can stop them, to me it sort of speaks to a little bit of you know, just erroneous thinking on the part of the folks who do this kind of stuff. In this case, it's coaches, but coaches are heavily influenced by the media, media kind of the same way. There is just this sort of logic that seems to exist in the air that if you're not a part of the unanimous consensus, you're sort of dangerous and you're sort of wrong and you should be kicked out of the club. For instance, someone in the coaches, Paul, one of the coaches, we don't know who, we won't see a publicly released coaches ball into the end of the season but somebody voted texas number one yesterday now i'm like you i think that's ridiculous there's no way i believe that texas is going to be uh number one in the country i think that's just a wrong opinion they i guess could win the big 12 i don't believe they will but the the reaction to someone voting texas number one yesterday i think was really fascinating you saw a lot of folks on social media saying this coach who has this vote should be kicked out of the coaches poll and never allowed to vote again well most coaches actually take that as that they'd be fine with not voting the coaches poll because it's just a pain something they they feel like they have to do but most coaches would be sort of fine you know not to do that but the point is anybody who doesn't sort of fall in line with the unanimous consensus should be kicked out of the club because to be in the club you must believe everything else that everybody in the club thinks that is why it was easy to know that Georgia was going to be number three and Ohio State was going to be number two and Alabama was going to be number one because that's what everybody else so-called in the club thinks. And if you want to be in the club, you have to think what everybody else in the club sort of thinks. So Georgia sort of suffers from that at least a little bit. But on the field, they'll get a chance to kind of prove just how wrong everybody else is on that. Now, the other point that I think is really interesting about the coaches poll yesterday is is that it sort of speaks to the, the larger college football playoff conversation that's been ongoing for really the entirety of the offseason, which is that virtually everybody seems to think that Georgia and Alabama, two SEC teams from the playoff last year, in some form or fashion, either Alabama's the SEC champ, Georgia's the SEC champ, they will both return to the playoff again this year, and they'll be joined by Ohio State, a team that was not in the playoff a year ago, but is the overwhelming favorite in the Big Ten, that those three teams are kind of already in the playoff, and all they can do is play their way out over the course of the season. But as we've told you plenty that still leaves one more team that has to be in the playoff. And I don't think this is an easy question to answer. Our assumption around here is, is that the most undervalued team for that playoff spot has probably been Oklahoma, although some of the off-field stuff with the Sooners the last couple of days maybe cause you to question that a bit more on that before the show is done. But Oklahoma has been one of those teams that I've given some consideration to. But the coaches poll kind of rubber stamps Clemson, who also has the fourth best betting odds to win the national championship here over this upcoming year. So that's kind of the takeaway for 
uh, the coaches poll there in two respects. That Georgia, for the most part, kind of falls victim to the same group think that we knew it would, although there were at least a few people who still think that Georgia can win the national championship for the upcoming year. And for the most part, right now, Clemson looks like that fourth team most likely to join the big three in the college football playoff. But we are far from certain about that because the drop-off from three to four is actually pretty substantial right now, maybe even greater than it is between four and the rest, the top 25. That's how big the chasm is for that top three there at the moment. And the coaches poll yesterday would seem to be more evidence of that. It's around the doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. And listen, Georgia's Own Credit Union's got a great uh, thing for you right now that I want to make sure that you are aware of. I'm talking about those uh, Georgia's Own Visa Signature and Platinum cards. This is a great way to pay for all the great things that you're doing, whether it be traveling or dining out or having fun, whatever, whatever you got going on. The uh, Visa Signature and Platinum cards from our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union is just a great addition to your wallet, to your purse, whatever you have there. Because first of all, it includes contactless payments. That's a real convenient thing. But you can also, when you use the card, you can earn Flex Rewards, uh, which can be traded in for gift cards, or cash back, travel, merchandise, pretty much just about anything. You get all kinds of great Flex Rewards. And you can also earn up to $150 when you open a new Platinum or Signature card. And there are some restrictions that apply. So why don't you check out the website. It's georgesown.org for more details. That's the word Georgia spelled out. Georgesown.org for more details on that. It's great to have Georgia's own credit union as a part of Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily here today. It's also great to have Connor Riley on board, too. Connor's had uh, some really interesting practice reports at Dog Nation the last couple of days, really watching closely what's been going on at UGA practice. And for those of us who can't be there or haven't been there, uh, that's a really valuable resource. What do you say we talked to him uh, about that and a whole lot more? We call it a Kroger Fresh Take. Glad to have him and all of you with us here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily uh, and our Kroger uh, Fresh Take. Glad to have Connor with us as a part of the program here today. And Connor, I do want to get into more detail with you coming up in a moment about that uh, practice reports and the things you've seen thus far from Athens, the thing you've heard from Georgia coaches and players. We'll hear from more of them this week, including some today there as well. Before that, though, any takeaway from you on Georgia being at number three, pretty much exactly where we thought they would be, did get at least one more first-place vote than Ohio State did. This is higher than Georgia started in the coaches' poll a year ago, of course. But what's your overall takeaway to the first official poll of the season and the dogs being kind of tucked right in there underneath the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Ohio State Buckeyes? Yeah, I'm hoping that this season isn't as anticlimactic as I thought the coaches' poll was going to be. Um, you know, again, no surprise that Georgia comes in at number three. I guess I'm a little surprised that they had as many first-place coaches as they did. Uh, but maybe that you know just speaks to the coaches' poll. I think when the AP poll comes out next Monday, we might see a lot more uniformity in terms of who that first team is. Uh, you know, I, I think the big reason why Ohio State is ahead of Georgia right now is because they have C.J. Stroud and Georgia has Stetson Bennett, and, and I think the perception difference there is what makes the difference as opposed to even though Ohio State I think has just as many, if not more, questions about its defense than what Georgia does. So I'm not surprised there. I'm not surprised Clemson is, a, is there at number four. If you're looking for a team that's trying to sort of replicate and follow that Georgia game plan last year of elite defense, you know, front to back, dominant front, good guys you can play in the back end of your secondary, Clemson sort of does fit that mold and they don't necessarily have to go through the, the toughest schedule in the ACC there. So I get why they're number four, but I do think that, you know, those four teams, there's a reason there are those four teams and the current perception of college football exists to where it, it is sort of a widening talent gap between those teams at the top and those trying to keep up. Well, there's no doubt about that. There's a huge chasm. It would seem to be in place between those top three and everybody else. But this is where, you know, I have fun talking to fans at tailgates or in our comment sections on shows like this. You know, message boards like our forum at forum.dognation.com because there's just sort of a wide variance of opinion. A lot of people think a lot of different things. Some of it's sort of crazy, but even the crazy stuff can kind of be interesting sometimes. Whether it be coaches voting the coaches poll or media voting the AP poll or just sort of the larger conversation that ends up influencing a lot of these votes, to me, what gets to be annoying is the wrong word. I guess sort of boring is the fact that the closer you get to like the top of the college ball food chain, the coaches, the, the sort of fancy media that, that votes in the AP poll, 
the more everybody just sort of seems to think the exact same thing and you can't be smart unless you think exactly what everybody else thinks and that to me is always sort of a weird thing when like the official polls start coming out which is just how how similar they all are right i mean it's like you know 54 first place for alabama first place votes for alabama obviously the time they win the national championship i don't know that any of us would be all that surprised necessarily if they did but the idea that so few people have any questions about a team that's this transfer laden about how those transfers kind of fit in together uh nick saban's already sort of talked about uh, a little bit of a tough transition for at least one of those high profile transfers which we'll get back into uh more before our show is done here today i always find it interesting connor just how unanimous the opinion is the closer you get to the top of whether it be the coaching or the media food chain when it comes to college football yeah but i you know i i think this year in particular with the way recruiting has gone in recent years it makes sense that those teams at the top have separated because they have in recruiting rankings so farly separated from everyone else, and you say this all the time, recruits know first. Yeah. They know that there's probably realistically only three, four, five teams out there that are able in the current way college football set up with so many guys clustered from those 2019, 2020, and even 2021 recruiting classes to a certain number of schools that you're going to have it be that way. I'd also point out I think Alabama probably has the two best players in the country in Bryce Young and Will Anderson. I, I think they're a deserving number one pick, and so I, I get and understand why they are the way that they are. Plus, I, I mean, somebody voted Texas number number one overall and sort of buck away from the trend, and whoever that coach was should rightly get blasted for it because that was a team that won five games a season ago. So I, I see your point there, but then, you know, you look at someone who goes out and votes for, say, Texas or, you know, wants to put a Notre Dame with a first-year head coach up there higher than perhaps others do – I can understand why people all sort of certainly think the same way that they do. All right, let's talk about uh, Georgia practice here the last little bit. There's been a lot kind of going on with uh, that. And I think your practice reports have been really interesting. Maybe the most interesting thing is the continued, I'll call it emergence for Devin Willick at left guard. That's not always the sexiest topic. But, Connor, you know how important those two guard spots ha- have been for me this offseason. I uh, love hearing healthy reports as it relates to Tate Rattledge. You had a good story about him at dognation.com the other day. I think that Willick is a little bit of a left side version of what I kind of think of Tate Ratledge. These are not pretty players. These are guys that are a little bit of you know street fighters, sort of bar bouncer types, but you want tough dudes in the interior of your offensive line at those guard spots. And I don't necessarily have a rooting interest in who starts, but they seem to sort of play with the style that I want my guards to play with because of what they can do for the Georgia running game. So of all the observations from you, let's start with the offensive line. What do you think with the fact that at least thus far, Willick proving to be a, a pretty firm competitor in that left guard, you know, rotation? Sorry about that. Yeah, so I think just the biggest thing in looking at them out there in practice is how much bigger Georgia is if it is Willick and Ratledge. They are a guard compared to a season ago. You know, Justin Schaefer and Warren Erickson were capable players, no doubt, but. Devin Willick and Tate Ratledge are both two to three inches bigger and about 20 to 25 pounds heavier than those two guys were. It is a more physical line, I would say. With those two guys at guard, it is more like a, an offensive line we would see under Sam Pittman than we did necessarily under Matt Luke there. And Georgia feels very good about what it has at the tackle spots with Roderick Jones and with Warren McClendon. Those guys are great athletes, guys who are going to be able to hang out there against elite uh, pass rushers. And I think the big thing that we want to see, because we've talked about this for a few seasons now, you know, those explosive runs, not necessarily the long, you know, 50-yard runs where, you know, a defender falls down and that's how it turns from, say, 20-yarder to a 50-yarder. But they can they consistently break off those 15- to 25-yard runs where the offensive line opens things up, the running back makes the one guy he has to make miss, and it goes from, say, a 4-5-6 yard gain into a 12, 13, 14 yard gain. If Georgia is able to do that, I think they're going to have the dynamic running attack that, uh, let's be honest here, has been rather missing for the last three, four years at Georgia, ironically, I think since Sam Pittman was last year. And, and so if Ratledge and Willick bring the beef, so to speak, I do think that you could potentially see that explosive running game open up that Georgia has sort of been lacking on the offensive side of the ball in recent years. The other thing, uh, I, I talked about this before you joined us, which is, I'll admit, I don't really know what my opinion is on this or maybe what's actually best for Georgia, but when it comes to that running game, 
you know, Kirby talking a lot the other day about Dejon Edwards in a bigger role this year, admitting that there's opportunities for Branson Robinson and Andrew Paul, two guys that I think that, you know, your eyewitness account would say, hey, look really good in pads and look really good. They certainly looked apart in their early days of Georgia practices here. But, Connor, is it a coincidence that as Georgia's kind of become a little bit more of a running back ensemble program in 2020, 2021, the overall running production has gone down a little bit. Georgia hasn't had a 1,000-yard rusher since 2019. You won't count 2020 on this because that was a shorter year. But, but you know, the best Georgia backs in the smart era have gotten over 1,000 yards. These are guys that Georgia trusted to give at least 150 carries to. And oftentimes you'd have years where more than one back would have gotten 150 carries for Georgia. Do you think that Georgia needs to pick two guys and feed them heavily, or do you think this can be – a more explosive running game while also giving a good number of carries to a, to a good number of backs. Uh, I'm going to go with the latter here because I think as Georgia had proven last year, I, and, and I've sort of written on this and, and touched on it in a couple ways. I touched on it on Tate Ratledge. I, I think Roger Jones is maybe the perfect example of this. Georgia is not in a let's focus in on game one and how much this matters. Let's focus in on game eight, how much this matters. Let's focus on, you know, a thousand yards rushing, eight hundred yards receiving, uh, thirty-five hundred yards passing, etc. This is a game fifteen program now, not a game fourteen program, not a game thirteen program. This is a game fifteen program where it matters most about what you are and what you're able to do at the end of the year. And so, yes, you know, Zamir White did not have over a thousand yards last season. Neither did James Cook, but. Georgia, when the game absolutely needed to, they knew who they were going to give the ball to. They knew what they were going to be able to do, and they were able to execute there and have some of those big plays that you saw in the second half of that national title game. And so, well, I understand the perception out there and the worry that comes with, uh, you know, not having a thousand-yard rusher, not 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 giving into that. I, I think this program knows that the most important thing right now is how how is this team going to be set up to play in that 14th game, to play in that 15th game. And so that is the sort of concern that they have there. Now, if it ultimately comes out that, you know, running backs are worried about the production level at Georgia and by running backs, I mean recruits, uh, you know, maybe you do think about potentially changing that up and and how you go about that. But right now, I don't think this is a team that is particularly worried about how many rushing yards say Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh are going to finish with. I, I think it's far more important for them that they have guys they know they can lean on in that 15th game, in that second half, because that is when championships are decided. One of the other things that I talked about before you joined us here today was I've been very high on, like, say, Brock Bowers and Eric Gilbert as the two top tight ends for Georgia, that if I were, you know, over-under on reasonable stat lines for both those guys, I'd take the over on Bowers taking the next step here in year two. I'd take the over on Eric Gilbert just simply because I just think he has a chance to be a breakout star. And if I'm taking the over on those two guys, then I'm probably forced to take the under in terms of the expected production for other tight ends, such as a guy like Darnell Washington. But, Connor, hearing Kirby talk about Darnell last week, and I played this audio before you joined us here today, hearing Kirby talk about Darnell last week, about what he looked like prior to the injury a year ago, and just kind of an overall kind of complimentary tone that Smart struck in discussing uh, Washington it led me to believe that maybe my evaluation might be wrong and that maybe Darnell still has a lot to say about what the pecking order of tight ends for Georgia this season is eventually going to be. You're watching him at practice. You're listening closely to Kirby Smart. You actually heard from Darnell himself the other day. What do you make of all of that? Um, I'm not surprised by that just because when you look at let, – let's go with those top three tight ends. and I, You could even lump, say, uh, Brett Scyther and Oscar Delvin there as well. I would say Arik Gilbert – is a lot closer skill set wise to Brock Bowers than Darnell Washington. And given what we saw Georgia do, I think a season ago with John Fitzpatrick and Darnell Washington, I think Darnell is poised to absorb a lot of the snaps that, that John Fitzpatrick played in that. Sure. You know, Darnell might not have the season that, that Brock Bowers had a season ago, but with what he brings as a blocker, with what he brings from a physicality standpoint, that's going to put him on the field a lot more. And so because of that, I think he is ahead of Reed Gilbert in the pecking order, whereas Gilbert, I think, is competing a lot more closely with Brock Bowers. And because of the fact that Washington is sort of in his own sort of role that, let's be honest, I don't think anyone is capable of replacing. There are few humans capable of doing what a fully fit Darnell Washington is capable of doing. I do think that he is a little bit ahead of Arik Gilbert there. And, and, you know, I mean, we've talked before about how I feel about Bowers. I think he's going to have a phenomenal season. Does he do what he does a season ago? 
I don't. I think this is going to be a team that wants to get its wide receivers more involved, in part maybe because of the negative recruiting that is going on uh, when it comes to that position, in part because I think if they're healthy this year, there is a lot of talent in that room. I've spoken before about Kiaris Jackson. I'll say Dominic Blaylock is really impressive in practice right now. And, yes, it's practice, and he's got to show that he can be healthy throughout the course of the season, but he looks like a noticeably better player this year. Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Arian Smith as well. I, I think because of all that, I, you know, as much as we spent time talking about the tight ends this season, I do think that the wide receivers are going to eat into that production maybe a little bit more than some people out there are thinking. I want to preview what's going to happen for Georgia this week, including some really cool press conference moments. But first, let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily. And Kroger's got a great opportunity for you right now to take advantage of a brand new membership plan that creates incredible level of value, features, and benefits. It's called Kroger Boost. Now, when you uh, take advantage of become a member of the Kroger Boost uh, membership program, you get opportunity for free grocery delivery. You get twice the fuel points. Listen, right now, that really matters, the fuel cost being so expensive to fill up your vehicle and travel around the way that you need to this time of year. Uh, being able to get uh, twice the fuel points there at Kroger certainly gives you uh, a chance at great savings. There's all kinds of other cool stuff there as well. And membership comes as low as just $59 for the year. So please check out this website, Kroger.com slash boost. That's Kroger.com slash boost to learn a lot more about that uh, today. All right, Connor, speaking of today, we'll hear uh, from some folks around Athens at some point in time here today there too. And over the course of this week, I guess we have a chance to hear from offensive coordinator Todd Munkin. That's a rare media appearance for him. And someone representing the defensive side there as well, whether it be Will Muschamp or Glenn Schumann, one of the two co-coordinators my guess is they don't do kind of a tandem show up there they'll let one guy speak on behalf of the entire group but whether it be the defensive side the offensive side when you talk to other Georgia coaches this week probably for the for the last time until maybe the end of the season what do you think the big questions are that are facing these uh coordinators we just talked about some of those related offense a moment ago but what stands out of interest to you as we get a chance to hear from some Georgia coaches we don't frequently hear from yeah, whichever coordinator we hear from, I'll be interested to see what they have to say from the secondary perspective. Specifically, if we do end up getting Will Muschamp, I think that is uh, an area that his expertise is going to be relied upon this year. And the way they've broken it up, they have Fran Brown working exclusively with the cornerbacks. They have Will Muschamp working with the stars and safeties there. And, and so how that dynamic works, especially this year, where it does sort of seem to be, at least right now, a more forward-facing two-pronged front with Schumann, I think, running the front seven and Muschamp in the secondary, uh, as opposed to the years past. You know, Dan Lanning, single voice, obviously. It'll be different there. I think on the offensive side of the ball, I, you know, he's, Todd Monk is going to get asked about, asked about the tight ends. He's going to ask about the running back. You asked about it a few seconds ago. He's going to talk about the wide receivers out there. I'm interested in what he has to say about Stetson Bennett because when we spoke to him last year before the Orange Bowl, he made it pretty clear that Stetson Bennett was the guy, and that proved to, I, I think, really come out and help Stetson play his best game as a Bulldog in the win over Michigan there. And, and so, you know, they've been through back and forth. They've been through a lot together. Uh, we know from from past reporting that Munkin thought that when Stetson got here, he was the fourth-string quarterback. And so Stetson and him have grown together and, and turned into both national champions. And so heading into the third year together where, where he is the offensive coordinator and he's in Stetson Bennett as the starting quarterback I'll be really interested to see what Todd Munkin has to say this week about Stetson well Connor I know whatever is said you'll have plenty to write about it there dognation.com great stuff from the uh, practice field here thus far it feels fun to know that we're getting closer to the start of the season and all this chatter coming out of Athens certainly helps us pass the time before September 3rd and the dogs go out there and I think big down on the Oregon Ducks so thank you so much for all of that we will look forward to talking to you again here next week as part of our uh, Kroger Fresh Take on Dog Nation Daily. Yep, BA, as always, was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. For me, it's two words. For me, it's the defensive side. You know, we're going to hear maybe from Todd Munkin, maybe from defensive coordinator for Georgia here this week. And the Munkin stuff is sort of going to be what you expect it to be. Connor kind of laid it out there. My questions kind of laid it out there a little bit earlier. You sort of know what those questions are. But defensively, here's what I'm interested in hearing. And I think, you know, Connor uh, talks about the uh, maybe the young defensive backs and how they fit into all of this. For me, I want to hear two words. I want to hear pass rush talked about a lot because that's what Georgia was last year. It was a pass rushing team. They had dadgum near 50 sacks. And the defensive coordinator that was a part of that transformation, he's not here anymore. 
and obviously he's got capable replacements in Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp, but does that mindset still linger? Is Georgia still as committed to the pass rush as it was before? And guys like Nolan Smith, Robert Beal, uh, Jalen Carter, on and on you go. Are those guys ready to add up to some sort of statistical profile that sort of gets you to that? You don't need 50, but you need 40. I, you know, 30-something, 20-something, which we've seen previous Georgia teams have under Kirby Smart, that's just probably not enough. So can you get to that big sack total again this year? And does Georgia speak with the kind of clarity about that when you hear from a defensive coordinator this week? That's those two words, pass rush, affecting quarterbacks, putting them on the ground, wreaking havoc in the backfield. That, for me, is as interesting as anything I think you can hear from Georgia coaches, players this week. And I hope we hear those two words, that phrase, used a good bit. we got a lot of other SEC stuff to get for you here. Let's also get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. The good news is you still have a little bit of time uh, to take uh, advantage of the great sale from Royal Caribbean for cruise sailings, whether you're thinking about the end of 2022, heading into early 2023. So got some time this week to take advantage of what we've been telling you about, which is that kids sail free promotion. So you want to take your entire family on a cruise uh, vacation? You can do that right now with kids sail free, courtesy of uh, Royal Caribbean. You can also get 30% off everybody that that you're taking with your uh, cruise party there as well. So 30% off all cruisers, kids sail free. These are big sale opportunities right now from our friends at Royal Caribbean, and you can take advantage of that. So our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you get booked up on all that. You can find them online tcava.com that's tcava.com you can also give them a call 770-952-8300 that's 770-952-8300 they got you on all of that and getting you ready for a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation whether you want a three or four night sailing heading towards the Bahamas enjoying perfect day Coco Cay you want a longer sailing maybe on one of those Oasis class ships taking advantage of all the large uh, Ray of opportunities for onboard entertainment you have there. Whatever the right choice for you is, you get great savings right now. So please take advantage of that while this sale is still going on. All right, so let's talk about a couple of things related to the uh, SEC through here right now. Cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And there was interesting reporting yesterday. It came out of the Sports Business Journal, and there's been some other stuff added to this. I know uh, The Athletic had some of this there as well about what the new Big Ten TV contract is going to look like. Now, I realize that your whole, you know, um, facade probably changes. There's a degree to which this can seem a little bit boring. But let me tell you why I think this matters. In the future, you know that, and you see some uh, of of the stuff there on your screen if you're watching a video of some of the reporting that's been out there. But in the future, you know the SEC's entire media rights package is going to exist within sort of the ESPN structure. The ESPN owns the SEC network. So in the future, no more CBS. Everything the SEC does is going to be ESPN, SEC network related. And because of that, ESPN is severing its tie and not even really at the negotiating table with the Big Ten at all for its own TV stuff. So what's the Big Ten doing for its new media rights package that's going to be heavy dollars more than what the current uh, SEC is making with its uh, new contract that's coming into place? Well, it sounds like their primary game is going to be on Fox. Fox also owns a large portion of the Big Ten Network. But then you've got games as well. They're going to be on CBS and potentially on NBC there as well. That you're going to have a big Fox package. Think about that as the big noon Saturday. Rolling to CBS for 3.30 and then maybe rolling to NBC for some primetime games. Now, here's the concern that I've had, bef- that I've had, but I haven't heard anybody else express. I just think those other networks do sports better. I think sports on Fox are just better than sports on ESPN. It looks better. It feels bigger. You think about the CBS 330 game. Not everybody loves Gary Daniels, and he's not everybody's cup of tea, but you love the overall feel, at least I do, many of you agree, of the SEC on CBS at 330. There's nothing on either the ESPN family of networks or the SEC network that has ever felt as big as CBS. And the whole idea, well, that's a broadcast network and ESPN's cable, Honestly, in 2022, I'm not even sure that even matters anymore. It just still feels bigger on CBS. They do a good job with Brad and Esther doing play-by-play and everything else that goes on there. They do a good job of just making it feel big. I think ESPN fails by comparison. I think NBC, much the same way. The same network that does Sunday Night Football has Carrie Underwood and 
all that cool stuff. Also doing Big Ten games on Saturday nights. Now, it's not going to be as big a production as the Sunday night football is with the NFL, but it's still a, a network that's shown the ability to make TV look big, to make sports on TV feel big. And by comparison, I'm not quite so sure that ESPN's as capable of doing that. Here's the one reason why I think that you and me as average fans should care about this new Big Ten TV contract that's about to come out is it just sort of seems like the Big Ten is positioning itself in the future with better TV partners than what the SEC has in ESPN. ESPN's paying the SEC a ton of money, but ESPN is also on its own right kind of a failed business. They have hemorrhaged subscribers for years now. They have had massive layoffs within their corporation because of the fact that their business model is becoming less sustainable than it once was. By comparison, is that going to be as good an ally in this future arms race between the two super conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten? Is the SEC going to be in a disadvantageous position because its media rights ally is ESPN and uh, the Big Ten is lining up behind Fox and NBC and CBS? I, I think that's at least worth exploring, but right now doesn't seem like anybody's doing that. Uh, you know the Cale Gundy situation by now. This is the now former wide receivers coach at Oklahoma, obviously stepping down, choosing to resign because of something that he said in the uh, locker room. You can go uh, a thousand places and get all kinds of commentary and coverage and all of that. Let me make this about football here for a moment, though. I told you this a few moments ago if you've been with us for the entire show. I sort of think like Oklahoma is a little bit undervalued in the upcoming playoff conversation. We think about Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, landscape in the very manageable Big 12, what Brent Vittables has a chance to do, bringing a level of toughness and physicality that Oklahoma did not have under Lincoln Riley, that I actually think that Oklahoma is a little underrated in terms of the playoff discussion. And now because of this sort of very odd and weird controversy, I'm kind of left to wonder, well, how much does that change what I thought of of Oklahoma prior to this. I believe Oklahoma's season win total is at nine and a half, meaning you can bet either the over of that or the under that, more wins than that, fewer wins than that in the regular season. I don't have to tell you, I think the over on Oklahoma at what I believe is nine and a half is about as safe a bet as exists in terms of season win total plays for the upcoming season. And maybe the Gundy situation doesn't change that at all. Uh, and I'm not talking about him not coaching. I'm talking about the just the distraction, the controversy around it. Maybe this doesn't change that at all, but I have to wonder does it have to be priced in a, a little bit? And, and maybe do you kind of downgrade Oklahoma just a bit in your mind because of all of this? The fourth playoff spot is wide open. I can't quite buy into Clemson as full-heartedly as some people seem to, although they certainly have a chance to do that. The one team I've been kind of kicking the tires on a little bit is Oklahoma, and now you're sort of left to wonder, does that change now because of a very weird, unforced error, a very weird bizarre controversy that's kind of popped up with a uh, assistant coach kind of stepping down from there so i saw where espn has kind of put out it's they do this every year it's sort of like position universities you know so and so is running back you or dbu or whatever else i guess officially from espn georgia's considered linebacker university and this is obviously well established by now just in the smart era alone right between a couple of buckets award guys a million draft picks a lot of this going to the credit of glenn schumann it's one of the reasons why no disrespect to will muschamp but the reasons that i sort of hope that when the georgia defensive coordinator meets with the media this week i sort of hope it's glenn schumann because i think he's earned the right to be that guy not in comparison to will muschamp who i think Georgia's very lucky to have but just in terms of being the kind of young up-and-coming coach who's only a off-field analyst when Kirby Smart first hired him at Georgia but over the course of his time here at UGA has put so many draft picks into the NFL that suddenly you're left to say hey maybe nobody's better at producing linebackers right now than Georgia is and some of that's outside linebacker there as well but just keeping to the inside guys here for a moment um, I think Glenn Schumann has kind of earned the right to be recognized he's doing that some with his salary of course and a new title but I kind of hope he's the guy that speaks for the Georgia defense here this week no disrespect to Muschamp I, I like him too but just given what Schumann has kind of gone through in his emergence as a coach, I hope we get a chance to hear from him because I think he is certainly a rising star. Uh, speaking of which, the other SEC team that kind of got a position U designation was Texas A&M. They were named Punter University, which I think is really funny. Uh, and it kind of speaks to the overall offensive frustrations that the Aggies have dealt with in the uh, Jimbo Fisher era here thus far. They've been you know, pretty good in a lot of ways, and they've certainly recruited well 
even prior to NIL, they're pretty, they were recruiting pretty well. But they have not really broken through offensively yet. And I guess with that in mind, Jimbo Fisher kind of making some moves here. Let me see if I can give you all of this. So uh, James Cole, you know him. Uh, he's, uh, I guess, now moving over to do tight ends after having been with wide receivers. No, no, I'm, no, no he's with wide receivers now after having worked with tight ends before. Let me correct myself on this. Damian Craig, who former quarterback, um, uh, uh, he is now working with quarterbacks after having been a wide receivers coach. That was kind of been what his college thing has been after having played quarterback at Auburn has been a wide receivers coach but he's now working with quarterbacks I guess there at A&M and Daryl Dickey's now working with the tight ends this is I guess depending on your perspective maybe rearranging de- uh, deck chairs in the Titanic a little bit because the Aggies have not been good offensively and you know last year I think one of the things that really held them back in addition to a starting quarterback just getting injured was they just couldn't quite push those buttons offensively they built their offense around Isaiah Spiller the running back and he only was a fourth-round pick. Uh, uh, Jalen Watermeyer, the tight end, they kind of built a lot around him. He didn't get drafted at all. That that you just sort of saw you know, an A&M team that seemed to have everything kind of but the offense. Now, I still give Jimbo a lot of credit, and I still think the reason why Aggies fans like him as much as they do is I think the people closest to College Station have the understanding of just how much of a transformation that program needed. Like, Texas – is just this sort of weird place for football. I mean, the Aggies are like the only Texas team in the entire dadgum state that plays any defense whatsoever. And in the Kevin Sumlin era, they were as like pillow soft as any other Big 12 team or sort of that kind of Western style of football. They were as pillow soft as anybody. And so bringing in that requisite toughness and physicality, Jimbo had to do that. That's one of the reasons why I think A&M fans kind of support Jimbo as much as they do, despite the fact they haven't won a ton is because they know how dramatic of a transformation was needed. But now that you got the defensive stuff, now that you got the lines of scrimmage, now you got the running game there a little bit, you know, can you add some offense to go with that? And I'm not quite so sure how much rearranging all these coaches are going to help you do that, but that's clearly what needs to be done there at uh, Texas A&M. One more SEC through story I want to get to here. It involves Alabama. And the thing we've told you before is, is that while – it's certainly not an invalid opinion to say Alabama ought to be preseason number one, nor is it an invalid opinion to say Alabama will win the national championship. These aren't, you know, obviously wrong opinions. Opinions really can't be, you know, necessarily, you know, uh, wrong until they're proven one way or another. But it's not obviously wrong that someone would pick Alabama to be preseason number one. But the one thing that almost no one at like sort of the highest level of like the media discussion, the true coastal elites, like the one thing that almost nobody seems to be saying, which I think probably deserves to be more part of the discussion than it actually is, is how all these transfer players are going to fit together. All these, in one of our commenters uh, over on the YouTube side kind of calls them the East-West Shrine Bowl team because of all the guys they sort of pluck from various rosters and now trying to find a way to get those guys to play together on the same team. How's all that going to work? It's not obvious that works perfectly. Now, it might because they're all talented, but in terms of the kind of needed team chemistry you don't just necessarily wave a magic wand and get all of that with that in mind one of the guys who is obviously expected to be a part of this is Eli Ricks former defensive back from LSU still a defensive back he's just a former player at LSU now on the Alabama roster so the other day Saban was talking about him and I want you to listen to this quote carefully because I think this kind of speaks to what we're talking about here a little bit Saban says of Eli Ricks oh he's made a lot of improvement I think that Eli sort of with the injuries that he's had and the time that he was off, it was really sort of a more difficult transition for him. So Saban's saying, hey, transitioning here to Alabama, been difficult. He mentions injury. But now listen, Saban goes on, and some of the stuff that he mentions actually doesn't have as much to do with injury. He says it's been a difficult transition for him physically, that's the injuries, but it's also been emotionally and mentally as well. To come from where he was to where he needs to get to be the kind of player that he wants to be, and we certainly want him to do that in every way that he can. So when I'm listening to Nick Saban there, I'm not hearing just a guy trying to recover from injury. I'm hearing discussion about a guy trying to fit in at Alabama. And you got to be careful with that. In life, there's just no free lunch. There is no all upside, no downside. That when you take players who are talented from somebody somewhere else, you clearly get the upside of having their talent, but you also deal with whatever baggage they may have had going back to their time in a previous school or the challenge of getting all these pieces to sort of fit together. And sometimes it doesn't all work so smooth and so easy right there at the forefront of all of this. And maybe Alabama could be in the midst of finding that out. 
We'll certainly find out ourselves once the games start being played. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, let me do a little recruiting stuff here for a moment because we have a couple of pretty big pieces of UGA recruiting news to get for you here today. And let me start with this. Uh, Hakeem Williams, very impressive 2023 wide receiver. This is maybe the... I'll say it this way. There may not be very many battles left for Georgia in the 2023 class. They're going to be watched quite as closely as this one's going to be. Jeff has a good story up involving Hakeem Williams at DogNation.com where Hakeem talks about some of what he likes about Georgia, some of what's drawn him to uh, UGA and kept the dogs here in the mix. There are people in College Station, that's other, other school, A&M, that seems to be in competition for him who seem to think Georgia's in a pretty good spot here, but, you know, Obviously, this is one of those battles that Georgia's had a tough time winning when it comes to high-profile wide receiver. Jeff's just got a good story up there talking about a lot of this. Uh, I'll show you the uh, tweet from Williams that kind of sets all this up. September 23rd, there is the date. And I don't know what it means, but, man, Georgia's always in the middle of these deals, right? I mean, you see Williams wearing the Georgia uniform, sitting down in the chair right there in the middle. You got him holding up the uh, Miami U dressed like Jason for Texas A&M. I have no idea what that's about. Uh, Jason also does not use a chainsaw, but I guess uh, we're going to kind of <laughs> we're going to kind of borrow from different uh pop cultural references there on that. Uh you see the other finalists on hand there as well. So, Hakeem Williams getting ready to make that decision and this is going to be a big one watched closely by Georgia and Georgia fans alike. Uh, read Jeff's Intel story there at dognation.com for a lot more on that. And then you've also got the commitment yesterday from a 2024 running back uh Tavani Mizell. And this is the perfect example we say all the time. If Mizell was a current cycle player, we'd have huge reaction to this. This is a top 100 player in the country, this top five running back. This is a very big deal for the class of 2024. Like the other day, Georgia took a running back from like the class of what? Was it 25 or like some way time in the future? Like this is only one year ahead. Uh, but this is a top 100 player, big deal for the dogs, and a big win here. Also kind of keeping that fire burning in the state of Maryland, which has actually become a little bit more of a hotbed for high school football as of late. So a little bit of that when it comes to Georgia Bulldogs there. So that's good news. We'll talk to Jeff Sintel more about that on Friday. So a couple of recruiting uh, pieces for you to be aware of. Decision day coming up for Hakeem Williams sooner than you may have thought. And Georgia gets itself a really good-looking 2024 running back there yesterday there as well. Also, before we're done today, quick shout-out to our friends at Merriweather and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Also, big dog fans are with us coming up here for our Dog Nation Duck Hunt tailgate. Really, our friends at Merriweather and Tharp are with us for everything we do because they love having fun. But they also know that sometimes in life things aren't fun, the divorce process being one of those things. So if you find yourself in the middle of a divorce situation or at the forefront of maybe going through all of that, please reach out to my friends there, the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. That's the website, the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. They'll explain the law, they'll listen to your story, and they'll go to work for you, and they'll fight to get you everything you deserve and to set you up for a very successful next season of your life on the other side of this marriage that's coming to an end. That's what Meriwether and Tharp can do for you, and you'll see them with us coming up the Dog Nation Duck Hunt tailgate there on September 3rd right there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium before the dogs beat down on the Oregon Ducks. With that said, let's get ready to wrap things up. So, a couple of golden shoes to give out here. First of all, if you're watching on video, I'll show this off. I actually have my hands here on the brand-new National Championship Coke bottle. I don't mind telling you, I have been waiting a long time to get my hands on one of these. Not just since it was shown last week for the first time. I'm talking about 40-something years. I've been waiting to get my hands on this. The Steve Penley uh, artwork here on this. I want to thank Lisa Affair from North Augusta, South Carolina, who got this for me. A uh, family member of our producer, Michael Carvel, got this for me. And I am so proud to have this on hand, to show this off. A true artifact here. The Georgia National Championship Coke bottle. This is my championship ring right here, and I'm happy to have it. So, Lisa, thank you so much for that. Now, it also leads us to a golden shoe for today because the other day we are kind of joking about the new Coke bottle, and I told one of our buddies on Twitter, Alabama fan G. Grace, that Alabama's going to get an RC bottle for finishing second. Some of you know what RC Cola is. And so uh, some of our folks online had some fun with that. Our buddy Frankie Fibonacci, who's always so good with this kind of stuff, kind of shares the new segment sponsor and you see the rc cola logo there on the screen i love how that uh frankie kind of makes his own like uh a sponsor bug there and lower third with a little bit of a teaser he's got uh nick 
been making his latest excuse. Um, picking on our buddy G. Gray, who's a Bama fan who comments on our show. Frankie, this is outstanding stuff, and you have quite a, a future in graphic design if you'd like to do that because uh, uh, you're making Dog Nation nearly look good right there. We'll even give a free plug to RC Cola on all that there as well. So very funny stuff, Frankie. Uh, great, great way to close out today's show with our golden shoe. How about our Gator Hater Updater? Because while Alabama may be whining and complaining, they've at least won a national championship in modern times here. For Florida, it's been 4,961 days since they have won anything of note. And they're going to be toting another whooping coming up 81 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Thart. And on the podcast, I'm now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown, where we'll take your comments, whether you send them to me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in the comments section at DogNation.com. I got a cool one from Red Dog 39 who's talking about his excitement for the upcoming Corky Kell Classic and you know, I think it's incredibly fun to see the way in which our state comes together for these games. High school football season kicking off next Wednesday. I'll be at Johns Creek High School for that doubleheader's worth of games. I'll be in Rome for three games on Friday. And actually, there's a kickoff classic Corky Kell luncheon in Rome today. I'm not able to be there because of this show. But uh, that is a great showcase for those teams. The The Rome Creekside game going to be an amazing game to kind of close that out get a chance to see Kennesaw Mountain which is really fun obviously Kennesaw Mountain's got a couple of players that have been kind of on the radar for Georgia fans from a recruiting standpoint and then obviously a huge slate of games in Mercedes-Benz Stadium there on that Saturday and some of those games I'll be calling some of them I'll be watching on television but all of us I just think kind of look to events like this as kind of the start to our football season we're still a couple of weeks away obviously from college football beginning but high school football is really here and I'm excited about it. So for those of you who allow me to kind of do this for you on a Friday night and be kind of a narrator for your experience as you watch either your favorite team or just the sport that you love across our state, I'm really, really grateful for that and can't wait to kind of bring you some of the sights and sounds of that here on Dog Nation Daily as well. We'll have a busy show for you back here again tomorrow, by the way, as there'll be plenty of press conference coverage. I believe it's going to end up being Glenn Schumann who speaks today. Honestly, as I'm talking to you right now, we don't know that for sure. At least I don't know that for sure. But I believe we may get a chance to hear from Glenn Schumann representing the Georgia defense. As I told you before, I sort of hope he is the guy that gets tabbed to do this. I think Georgia's very incapable hands when it comes to Will Muschamp as kind of that co-defensive coordinator. I think his presence here is really valuable. But I think this is a good example for Schumann to have it demonstrated that he's earned his stripes. He's earned the right to speak on behalf of this Georgia defense here now, and he's earned the right to kind of cast his own vision for what he thinks that group can be here this year. I hope he gets a chance to do that. I think that could lead to some interesting chatter, and we'll certainly do that tomorrow. And as I told you during our SEC through today, I'm hoping when he does speak that way, I want to hear pass rush talked about. I want to hear that be a thing that comes up. How does Georgia replicate what it did so well statistically speaking a year ago i do hope we hear a lot of that here today but one way or another we'll be back to talk about that again tomorrow and we appreciate you being here part of our podcast cool down presented by rs andrews who you can find online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning heating plumbing and electric needs they'll show up on time they'll do the worth it's promised for the price it's promised they'll even get that tired old ac unit that you know is sort of at the end of its shelf life because somebody's probably told you that it's at the end of its shelf life, well, our friends at R.S. Andrews can show you how you can get that thing tuned back up to factory fresh specs. So try them out today. Check that out. And we'll see you back tomorrow for our podcast cool down presented by R.S. Andrews when it's all done. And then, of course, Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia before that. We'll see you then, everybody.